What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. The name above any other name. The name that one day every knee will bow down to and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the name that brings peace out of chaos. This is the name that the widow can call on as well as the unmarried. This is the name that the poor run to. This is the name that the rich surrender to. The name of Jesus is beautiful. It's beautiful. And it changes our lives. It transforms everything. Why would you be in this building at 9.30 on a Sunday if it wasn't for the name of Jesus? (laughs) And this name was first uttered in this world by an angel named Gabriel. In the Gospel of Luke, we see Gabriel having the craziest, most honorable privilege to utter the name Jesus for the first time in this world in connection with the idea of Messiah. And then in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, which we're going to camp out in, in these moments, we see another angel, possibly Gabriel, just says angel of the Lord. Again, uttering the name Jesus for probably the second time ever in human history in this world to a guy named Joseph. It changed Mary and it changed Joseph and it changes us here in 2019. And so with that, open your Bible, pull up your phone, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's page one in the New Testament It's about two-thirds into the Bible that's in the seat rack in front of you. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and then specifically go past the genealogies into verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 as we read about the beautiful name of Jesus. And this is what it says. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. But if you have other versions, you'll, you'll get the idea, the context of it here. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband... Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translates means God with us. 
And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The most beautiful name, Jesus. So we read in this account a message from the angel to Joseph. It's one of three messages that we'll cover just in our short time here this morning of Joseph, uh, the, the father of Jesus, appointed by God, and these messages that he receives from this angel of the Lord. And you shall call his name Jesus. Who was Joseph? Why was Joseph the one to receive this message? To be one of the first humans to ever hear the name Jesus connected to the idea of Messiah. Who was Joseph? Well, we know from Matthew chapter 13 that he was a carpenter. And if you get in, you dig into the original language of of what a carpenter would look like in the first century, we find this word tecton. Tecton is basically just an everyday handyman. It could be working with wood, although wood was scarce in the first century. So more than likely it was a carpenter, but not like we think of it, more like a masonry or a stone builder. This is what Joseph's job was. Tecton. Now, in the original language, there's actually a word uh, that means kind of a master builder or what we would call like a contractor today. And that's the word architecton. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 when it describes the idea of a master builder, contractor. But here Joseph is just simply described as a tecton, a carpenter. And so from that we can infer that Joseph worked for someone else. Joseph worked for a master builder, an architecton, as a tecton. We can also infer that he probably was sort of new at this trade. He didn't have a lot of experience. He was apprenticing. And more than that, we know that Joseph was from a very small town, the town of Nazareth, which had 400 people in the entire town. And so I want you to get this idea of Joseph being a small town guy with a small-ish job, working for someone else. On the totem pole, you had an architecton, and then you had a tecton, and here's Joseph. So this small town worker is the man who God appoints to hear the name Jesus. And even beyond that, Joseph, the small town guy with the small town job, is the one who's appointed to father, to mentor, to shepherd and protect the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. This job is given to Joseph, the Nazarite carpenter. It's crazy. Later, uh, Apostle Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, says these wonderful words. He says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. 
That definitely describes Joseph. Although we read in the genealogy that he did have noble bloodline from King David. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I think this is just a helpful point for us in this Christmas season. In a culture here in the West that values bigger and better. I just have to say one word. Costco. (laughs) We're a culture that just wants big and mighty and crowds. Flash. Here's Joseph being the one that the angel is sent to. Hey, there's guy Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's come to save the world from their sins. And you are going to steward him as his protector, his mentor, his earthly dad. It's amazing. For me as a spiritual leader, as someone who shepherds, helps shepherd our flock here at Calvary, this is such a helpful message for me because, I don't know, in my flesh, I want a big church. I want more people here at Calvary. Yesterday we did this thing called Angel Tree and it was a beautiful thing. It was, we took and we invited kids who have a mom or dad in prison. Um, to come join us in the fellowship hall. And we served a meal. And, and because of you and your generosity, we distributed presents to each of these kids by name. But as I looked in fellowship hall, we had about 30 kids there yesterday. And just even in my own thinking, I'm like, I wish there was more. I'd love to bless more kids. And we we're willing to, but that's kind of who came, who showed up at the event. And I'm thinking, I, I, I want more. I, I want bigger. I want better And yet I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God uses small things, doesn't he? Amen? God uses the fools of this world (laughs) to shame the wise and the strong and the self-righteous and the self-reliant simply to point not to any of us or even to the name Calvary, but to the ultimate name, the beautiful name, Jesus Let that be a reminder to you. Maybe you're in a place in life where you're like, is this it? My my footprint in the world's not that big. The impact I thought I'd have by this age is, is not what I thought it would be. God uses simple things to display his wonderful, beautiful name. Remember that as we celebrate Advent here today. And then you see that Joseph was a righteous man, but he had his righteous plans interrupted by an ultimately in control and sovereign God. Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. It says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. I don't know if you're aware of this in the background of this story, but Roman and Jewish law not only suggested, but required that a man divorce his wife if she was found to be unfaithful. So if Joseph did not divorce Mary when she came to him with this news that she was pregnant by some other means, then he would actually be unlawful. He'd be going against both his religious law, Judaism, and the government law of uh, the Roman um, government. 
And so here he is fighting against the law. And also, if Joseph were to bring Mary into a public trial and accuse her of being unfaithful, then he had the right to receive his dowry back. In an Eastern culture, you would put down finances or sheep or cows or all of the above in order to secure a wife. So thankful that I didn't have to bring any sheep when I asked Marie to marry me. (laughs) He could, as he publicly divorces Mary, receive back his money, his financial interest. That was one of his options. Also, to publicly divorce Mary because of her unfaithfulness would allow his reputation to remain intact. Remember, he's not an architecton, he's a tecton. So, uh, your reputation's everything. If you're a small business owner, if you're a handyman, a carpenter, if you're going to be invited into people's homes to build something for them, your reputation matters. 400 people in your town, if everyone knows that that, oh, you have this scarlet letter on you, they're not going to want to work with you. And so Joseph had a lot to um, to gain by publicly divorcing Mary. And yet, look what the text says that he decides to do. He just quietly is going to divorce her, walk away from her. He's not going to disgrace her. He's not going to get his money back. He's not going to maintain his reputation. So Joseph, in a way, is doing a noble thing. He's doing a good thing in deciding to secretly walk away from Mary. But then God interrupts his plans. I love this quote from Bob Goff. It says, be patient when it gets weird. The angels explain things to Joseph after he had talked to Mary, not before. Isn't that interesting? So Mary, at some level, we don't have the actual dialogue of their conversation, but Mary had come to Joseph before the angel does here in Matthew 1 and told Joseph that she was pregnant. Pregnant, although she was still a virgin. And so Joseph's trying to wrap his mind around that. He comes up with this noble plan, and then God interrupts it. Look at verse 21 as we read the beautiful name of Jesus once again. She'll bear a son... And you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Just look at that quote, either in your Bible or your phone or behind me on the screen. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus was a great moral teacher, but he's so much more than that. Jesus gave us an example of how to love others, but he is so much more than that. Jesus even modeled for us how to respond to our enemies, but he is so much more than that. Jesus is the savior of sinners. Aren't you thankful for that? Maybe you've seen this slogan or quote around Uh, this Christmas season already. Maybe you have it hanging somewhere in your home. It says, Jesus is the reason for the season. It rhymes. It's good. It's true. But I would humbly argue that although this is the reason that we celebrate Christmas, Christ Mass, that honestly, if you really look at all of our lives, we are the reason for the season. 
because of our sin. Jesus would have never had to come into this world as the God-man, God in the flesh, if it wasn't because of our sin. Our sin is the reason Jesus came to deal with our sin issue, to live the life that none of us could live, a life in perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus came to be the sacrificial lamb, to shed his blood. For without the forgiveness of sins, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Jesus really came. The first advent really happened. And we don't necessarily just celebrate the presence under the tree. We celebrate the one who hung on a tree to die for our sins. This is the beautiful name of Jesus. And so I want to even just ask you right now in this place, third week of Advent, have you called on the name of Jesus to forgive you of your sins once and for all? You can see the cross right up here. It's empty. Because Jesus only had to die on the cross one time, and then it's finished. He doesn't have to keep climbing up on the cross week after week, and you come to him every week asking more forgiveness, more forgiveness. Maybe this time he actually will. No, one time Jesus said, it is finished, it's done, your sins are nailed to the cross. The cross is now empty because Jesus has accomplished it. And so my question to all of us, is have you placed your faith in Jesus to forgive you, to save you, from your sins. Yesterday I walked through all of these seats and I prayed and touched your seat that you're sitting in right now. And I asked the Lord for two things. For those that are walking in here today in shame, may Jesus lift your head. May you seek him as your savior. And for those that are walking in here with arrogance, feeling they have no need for saving, May the Holy Spirit, even in this moment, break your heart. Break your heart that you have sinned against the Holy God and that you desperately need rescuing and redemption through Jesus. Being in church does not automatically save you the same way that being in a garage does not automatically make you a car. The way to have your sins forgiven once and for all is to place your faith in Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that right now in this moment. Let's not mess around. Let's just do it right now. And so close your eyes, if you will. All of us close our eyes. This is just a way for you to avoid distraction. On this third week of Advent, what a better time to know that you know that Jesus has forgiven your sins once and for all. And I want to invite you to pray this with me. Dear God, I come before you right now and I know that I've sinned against you. Because of that, in a sense, I'm the reason for this season. Thank you for coming, Jesus. Thank you for living the life I could not live. In this moment, I place my faith in Jesus to forgive my sins once and for all. Make me clean. Become the Lord, the leader of my life, Jesus. This is my prayer. Just with our eyes closed, just a sacred moment of worship. If you just prayed that right now, you just raise your hand. I just want to acknowledge that and just go, that's awesome. I see it. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. How cool. 
We have like 12 people that just said yes to Jesus right now. That's awesome. (laughs) Father, thank you. Thank you that you are our Savior. Thank you that we celebrate that with joy here this morning. In Christ we pray, amen. Joseph received this, just as many of you have just received this message. And it brought him joy. But then Jesus put him, or God put him on mission at that point. Just as he places all of us on mission. Joseph's mission was to get up and flee. In Matthew chapter 2, you see this. Scroll over to Matthew 2. Verse 13, it says this. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord, when they had gone, that's talking about the Magi, the wise men. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So Joseph's called to get up and flee, to be on mission for God. Again, angelic guidance interrupts Joseph's plans. Because if you think about it, Joseph now gets his mind around this idea that He's going to be a steward of of the Messiah. He's to name him Jesus. Jesus is born. And in Joseph's earthly thinking, it would make sense then to just camp out around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of religious thought in the nation of Israel and in the world at that time. The temple was there. Why wouldn't the Messiah be close to the temple? So I'm sure Joseph's thinking he and Mary will just set up shop around Jerusalem or maybe still in Bethlehem. And yet, God intervenes once again and says, go. Not only just go, not go back to Nazareth, go down to Egypt. For we know in the context here that Herod was seeking the Christ child's life. Herod lived a complicated life, as we've probably heard before. Herod was Jewish, yet seemed to have greater allegiance to the Roman Empire. Herod built magnificent buildings and and places that you can still visit the ruins of today in Israel. And yet he also um, did terrible things around the temple with false idolatry. So Herod's a complicated guy. Satan uses him to attack the Christ child. And Dave talked about that last Sunday in last week's message. As you see the spiritual warfare around the child, verse 13 again just says that, Herod's searching for the child to destroy him. So the angel says, flee. So Joseph says, okay. And the holy family become spiritual refugees as they head down to Egypt. Verse 15 says, out of Egypt, I called my son. This is a reference to Hosea chapter 11. The prophet Hosea is speaking about the original exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Now Matthew connects Hosea's words to this prophetic moment when the Messiah would also come out of Egypt. 
which would just feel unfathomable to anyone in the nation of Israel, that the Messiah would come out of such a pagan place. And yet with angelic interruption, sending this family down to Egypt, Hosea 11 comes true. And just kind of even a side note on this, Joseph responded to God's call to flee. And I'm wondering, and this is a little bit of taking some liberty with the text, but what is God calling you and I to flee from this Christmas season? If you think about this idea of Joseph obeying and and fleeing when God told him to, what could be something that God could be calling you to flee from during this season? Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's lust. Just sin in general. Maybe it's just busyness. When I thought about that term, I wrote it in my notes. I had to sit with it a little while because I need to flee from that. During this season of Advent, what is God calling you to flee, flee from? through the power of his spirit. Maybe you just want to jot down a note right now or even pull up your, your notes in your phone and just write down a couple of thoughts on this. What could the spirit be inviting you to flee from this Christmas? Joseph and Mary obeyed and they went down to Egypt with the Christ child. We don't know how long they were there. They could have been there a couple months, could have been a couple years, Historians kind of have some trouble exactly estimating when Herod died, but we do know that Herod died. He died an awful death, historians tell us. A death, he was so sick that he even tried to kill himself and may have even succeeded at one point. But Herod is gone, and now there is freedom to return. Look at now Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. It says, but when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Again, the third message. Verse 20. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And then after being warned by God in a dream... This is his fourth time. He left for the regions of Galilee, and he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Again, Joseph obeys the call of the Lord through the angel, returns to Israel, sidesteps Jerusalem, and goes up to this small town of Nazareth where Jesus will be raised. This angel prompting by the Lord, sovereign hand of God. You can see this map kind of barely, probably from where you're sitting. Going down to Egypt and then going back up to, Na- to Nazareth. I want us to understand though that as Joseph obeyed, he wasn't just some stoic figure that, you know, just responded as a robot. I don't know if you can see this, but I took this from our dining room. You probably have a nativity scene somewhere in your home right now. But when you see Joseph in most nativity scenes, he's just kind of stoically kind of gazing out to the horizon. And we kind of forget that he was a real guy with real emotions. He had strengths and weaknesses and fears. And yet he obeys. 
He has a heart of obedience. And you might think to yourself, well, if I had an angel show up to my life today, that would be easy. I would obey too. And yet, we have something even greater, I would argue. We have the canon. The word of God is found in the scriptures. We have even more revelation than Joseph had. And yet we struggle to obey, don't we? Obedience does not come naturally. Proof of that is how many of us string more than three light strings together (laughs) over Christmas. Eric's feeling some conviction right now. (laughs) We obey not to receive God's grace, forgiveness of sin. We obey out of response to God's grace and gift of forgiveness. Do you hear that? I don't want anyone here to get confused on that. Obedience is a response, not a way to pull God towards us. It's a beautiful gift. As we honor the beautiful name of Jesus, the forgiver of our sins, we can offer back this beautiful gift of obedience. Second John says, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Obedience isn't a favorite word of our culture, is it? You know, probably next few weeks, there'll be like the word of the year. Any guess what that might be? The word of the year? Impeachment? I don't know. (laughs) Word of the year? The word of the year on most people's list, though, is not obedience. And yet, this is a beautiful gift that we can offer God. It feels so hard. Like, how, how do we thank God for the gift of grace that He's given us? It feels so inadequate to do anything, right? And it reminds me um, 18 years ago this weekend, Marie and I were engaged. I still can't believe it. Like, Marie Mittman said, Yes, I can't believe it. It's amazing. And. That was 18 years ago. Nine years ago, on this very weekend, we had some family friends give us a car. One of our cars kept breaking down. In fact, Marie uh, had a car break down on Grand Avenue and 17th, and it stalled right in the center of that intersection with two of our little kids in car seats. So we had some family friends that heard about our car situation. And on this very weekend, nine years ago, They contacted us and said, we'd like to give you a car. And we were just overwhelmed. Well, they ended up not giving it to us. They charged us a dollar. So (laughs) we're just, Marie and I are just so humbled and kind of like feeling like, what what do you even, how do you even respond to something like that? We ended up going to like this pottery barn place and buying a Christmas candle for them. And we brought over a candle as a way of saying thank you. And Marie and I, as we're driving this candle, we just started laughing. We're like, someone just gave us a car, and we're going to, in response as thankfulness, give them a candle. <laughs> like, it's just not an adequate uh, trade here. But what can we do? That's a lot of how we feel when we receive the grace of Jesus. How could we ever properly say thankful, be thankful on that? Well, obedience is one way that we can give back to God. We can say, Lord, you've changed my life. The beautiful name of Jesus has changed me. 
And as a response, I'll obey you. Joseph's no hero. In fact, we don't have one recorded word of Joseph in the entire Bible. But what we do see about Joseph is that he just obeyed. May that be our calling here today as well. Wrestle with this. What is God calling you to do in obedience this Christmas season? What could he be prompting you to do? Could it be reconciliation? Could it be generosity to a level that even hurts? Could it be to love the stranger or even the enemy? Could it be to sign up for a go team coming up? I love the words of this author. He says this, Joseph chose the hard but obedient path. He took on the shame of Mary's pregnancy to help father the one who would take on his shame at the cross. Isn't that good? So what will our response be here today? We're going to continue to worship through music in a moment, and I'll invite our team up. Uh, to the sides and in the front here, and then also in the middle of the room, we have communion stations. It's even a simple way that we can approach the table and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. And we take the elements as a response of just saying thank you, act of worship. We also have guided prayer over to my right and left. Invite you even during our next couple songs of worship to come up and pray with someone. Maybe you're one of those who just said, I asked Jesus to forgive my sins once and for all. Come on up and celebrate that. Enjoy over what you've just done with one of our friends here today. So let me pray and let's respond. Father, I thank you that you are the God who saves Thank you for sending Jesus into our world. Thank you even for equipping a a normal, ordinary guy like Joseph to obey. God, fill us with your spirit as we respond here today. In Christ we pray. Amen.